Let's all stand up together. All right, we're in John chapter 16. I'm going to go ahead and read for us verses 1 to 15, and uh, then we'll jump into the scripture today. The Bible says, this is, of course, is Jesus speaking. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm, gonna, I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Remember, they were discouraged to hear that Jesus was going to be leaving But check this out, nevertheless, I tell you that the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, who's the helper? The Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Check this out. And when he comes, what will he do? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. We'll explain this in a minute. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world, who's that? Satan. Satan, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said to you, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. I just want to go back to verse 12 and um, reread that. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, he, whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, God, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit. Thank you that we know today, God, we know today that your spirit dwells with us. For those of us who have believed, your spirit dwells in us. Thank you that he's at work, that he's always been at work, that he's been working from the beginning of our gathering together, even until now. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would magnify your son that your spirit would glorify him and make him great, God, in this place, but in our hearts and in the hearts of those among us today who may be unbelieving. Father, we consecrate this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. You know, I think it's fair to say, I think it's fair to say that there are things in the scripture that are just challenging to understand. And, and I think, you know, they certainly is the case because we've been steeped in a scientific worldview. And so, you know, as, 
As you know, you hear maybe a preacher or a teacher, perhaps it's me or one of the other pastors talking about bread falling from heaven and feeding two million people. Now that can be kind of a hard thing to get your, your mind around. Um, or we're talking about, you know, the, the same journey of Israel uh, ultimately to the promised land. We're talking about how water came from one single rock and quenched the thirst of millions of people. I mean, that, that's, that's challenging to understand. Or, or maybe it's Christmas and we're talking about a virgin um, conceiving and bearing a son who was sent from God. Or maybe back to the story of Israel, you know, we're talking about how the Red Sea parts and an east wind blows and the seabed dries up to the extent where people can walk across on it. I'm just saying to you, there are things in scripture that are like, while that, how do you explain that? Or we get to the Trinity and we start talking about how there's one God in three persons. By the way, this is how God describes himself through the pages of scripture. There is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All equally God, but at the same time, all unique. And you know, we consider that truth and we think, man, that, that is, that's hard for us to understand. You know, and in some ways, I said this a couple of weeks ago, in some ways it's like, you know, you can kind of get your mind around the Father and you can get your mind around the Son because, you know, that's, that's kind of tangible and there's, there's earthly points to connect to. But I start talking about the Holy Spirit um, and I drop the King James Version on you, I start talking about the Holy Ghost, you know, and, and you're just like, man, I don't, I don't totally understand that. And I would say to you, even though you may not fully understand the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, you see the evidence of his work all over the place. I mean, when you see somebody who is totally committed to atheism become an ardent follower of Jesus Christ, that is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? When you see somebody who's bound in addiction and their life is just consumed in a prison of their own making and then all of a sudden, and you know, sometimes it is all of a sudden, but like I said last week, sometimes there's many, many decisions over the course of time. Nevertheless, that life moves from a place of being bound in prison by um, decisions of their own making to being radically set free in power, in love, in joy, a new creation. You say, how does that happen? And the answer is the, whole, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does that. Maybe, you know, you step back and you're watching a Christian endure real persecution and adversity and suffering and not self-generated. And they're going through all of this and yet you see this, this calm peace and strength that anchors them. You know, you wonder how in the world does a person have that? Well, the answer is the Holy Spirit. And this is precisely what Jesus is speaking to his disciples about, right? He's preparing them because there's adversity that's coming. He's given them a little glimpse. Now he's talking in more specific terms. He's talking about how they are gonna be excommunicated from the synagogue. He's talking about how there are gonna be people who will be persecuting them who will actually think that they're doing God a favor by snuffing out the lives of those who are following Jesus. And this is what he does to prepare his disciples. He prepares them for persecution, and by the way, persecution simply means animosity towards Jesus and his gospel. That's what persecution is. He prepares his followers for this by directing them to depend upon the Holy Spirit 
so that they can be an influence for the gospel in the midst of their adversity. I, I just want to say to you today, you know, as Jesus is talking about the unfolding events that are going to hit these these guys, as they're following the Lord, you know, he doesn't say, hey, you know, it's going to get hard, it's going to be difficult, so, you know, you need to lean into isolationism. He doesn't say, hey, it's going to be really hard, and the world's going to reject you, and, you know, you're not going to be accepted, and, and people's perspective of you is going to change, and so you just need to build up some anti-culturalism. He doesn't say that. He says, no, in the midst, what's going to happen is this, your light is going to shine even brighter. That the Father is going to take those difficult circumstances, and as you, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, as you lean into a greater dependency upon the Holy Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses. And, you know, he said this because he was concerned, and he said it in the very first verse that we read in chapter 16. He was concerned that his disciples, when difficulty came, that they would fall away um, you know, the original word means to be scandalized. It means to stumble. It means to become so discouraged, right? I mean, maybe you've been there at some point in your life as a Christian. It's you, you've chosen to follow Jesus, and there are all these things that are great, and then all of a sudden your, your family doesn't want anything to do with you, and, and the crew that you used to run with doesn't want anything to do with you, and, and you know, in that moment, you can become really discouraged, which is one reason why he sent the helper, you know, Jesus uses really interesting terms here, and I know that for them, it's counterintuitive because the greatest thing from their perspective was to be with Jesus, right? But he says to them, it's in fact to your advantage that I go away. I want to say to you today, advantage Christian, right? Advantage Christian. We live in the advantage. We don't live in the deficit, Sometimes as the minority group, and that's what Christians are increasingly in our country, sometimes as the minority group in a post-Christian culture, we can begin to feel like, hey, you know what, we're outnumbered, we're overwhelmed, we're operating from a place of weakness, not a place of strength. We see a waning influence in the society around us, and sometimes you know it makes us kind of step back on our heels, and we forget, no, hey, wait a minute, we're not in a place of, of weakness, even though we may be the minority group in the culture, because we have the Holy Spirit, we live in the advantage. Do you believe that today? Well, we talked a little bit about um, a dependency upon the Spirit of God, and you know, I, I kind of set the framework for this because we're gonna be talking a, a lot about the Holy Spirit in the coming months. Um, and I said to you, if you remember, uh, and this may be news to you for those of you who aren't familiar with Calvary Chapel, but Calvary Chapel um, has a great history with, res with respect to depending upon the Holy Spirit. And you know, there's a movie out right now called Jesus Revolution. I don't, I don't know if you've, if you've seen it or not. Some of you have. Uh, and you know what, it, it chronicles, it, it chronicles the history of the Jesus Revolution particularly focusing on God's work in Calvary Chapel. Certainly not the only church that God was doing a work in, but it was a significant work. And you know, what, what we remember is this, that it was a significant work because the Spirit of God was moving in a mighty way. And the people of God were living dependently upon the Holy Spirit. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, I challenged you. I challenge you because you know the tendency that we have sometimes is this, we look back on the past, we look to what God did in the past, and we rest on our laurels. 
you know, we can have the tendency to think, hey, isn't it great what God did back then? And, and we forget that God is not just a, a God of the past, but he's a God of the present. God doesn't want our lives to be framed in such a way where it's like, man, we're, we're living off the momentum or the inertia of what God did yesterday or five years ago or 30 years ago. God wants to move presently in our lives today. And so what we talked about was leaning into a renewed dependence upon the Spirit of God. You remember that? And we talked... Yeah. <laughs> Don't make me feel bad today, all right? But we talked about two things in particular, right? This is what we're seeking. We're seeking a renewed dependence upon the Holy Spirit, number one for sending, that we live missionally every day to, by God's Spirit to bring Christ's redeeming power to lost souls through word and deed. If you agree with this, you can say amen at, at the end of it. Let me give you another shot here, okay? Living missionally every day by God's Spirit to bring Christ's redeeming power to lost souls through word and deed. Yep, and sanctification, a spirit-filled lifestyle that produces obedience to Christ's commands, the fruit of the spirit, and the exercise of spiritual gifts for the edification of God's people, all right? We talked about the order. We talked about, hey, how first and foremost, we as Christians need to know who the spirit is because the spirit is worthy of our worship. The spirit is as equally God as the Father is and as the Son is and therefore deserves our worship. He deserves to be adored and respected and honored and revered and yielded to. And then the next thing that we understand about our relationship with the Spirit is this, there's a purpose that he has for our lives. In fact, the reason that the Father and the Son send the Spirit is so that the redeeming work of Christ among humanity and in creation can continue to be fulfilled. And so this piece, like this is the work of the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in your life and in my life. Now you might be thinking today, well that's a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, Pastor. I mean like the, the work of the Spirit is first and foremost so that I can live in such a way that the redeeming work of Christ on the cross and through the resurrection can continue to be fulfilled through my life? I say yes. You say, well, how does that happen? I say, well, first and foremost, if you're taking notes today, remember it is the Holy Spirit that influences change in people's hearts. It is the Holy, and this should take some pressure off, right? Because, because sometimes there's a tendency to think, man, I'm not that smart, I'm not the sharpest tack in the box, I don't have you know, the, the personality or the charisma, I don't have the, a lot of Bible knowledge, we'll get all, to all that in just a second. But the truth is this, it is the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that transforms and changes people. Listen, I'm gonna say something to you, I'm gonna read it twice, but I want you to really ponder it, okay? And it goes like this. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is, is to continue the redeeming work of Jesus by localizing his presence and power among Christ's people. Let me say it again. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to continue the redeeming work of Jesus by localizing his presence and power among Christ's people. In other words, the Spirit is omnipresent. The Spirit is at work at all times and in all places as he desires, but he localizes his work through his people, through his church, through, let me just say it like this as we like narrow it down, through your life. 
The Spirit was sent to help people. You say, help them to do what? Help them to believe in Jesus. Look, the Spirit of God is working right now, whether you realize it or not. Some of you have rolled into church and it wasn't really your plan to come to church today. You were just getting your Boston cream donut at Dunkin' Donuts. And, and you got your donut and you got your coffee and, and you're cruising by this location and, and you're like, man, I, I, thought, I thought that that was like a manufacturing plant because it looks super industrial or, you know, I thought it was a school. But on Sunday morning, cars are gathered and you're like, man, I'm done with my donut. I think I'll stop by and check this out. And I know this is you because you still got the chocolate like right there on your mouth. And, and now you're sitting in a seat in a place you never thought that you would be. And the fact is this, not only did the Spirit of God guide you to this place, but now he's speaking to you. Now he's revealing himself to you. Now there are thoughts that you're having that, that frankly you never thought you would actually have. The Spirit of God is always working. And this is what he does according to Jesus. He convicts. He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The word convict means to expose and convince a person of something that is wrong in their life with the goal of leading them into what is right. That's what it means to convict. To expose, that simply means to reveal, and to convince a person that there are things in their life that are wrong and not, not just to leave them in a place where it's like, man, you know what, uh, this is wrong and that's wrong and this is wrong and you're miserable and you suck and God doesn't want you anyway. No, that's not the work of the Spirit. Like he reveals these things so that you can see what God desires and you can align your life to what it is that God wants for you. Look, in, in other words, the Spirit of God brings an awareness. The Spirit of God brings an illumination as a unbeliever, your life is filled with darkness. It takes the Spirit of God to turn the light on. You say, well, how does the Spirit of God turn the light on? Number one, this is what Jesus says, he convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in him. The first thing the Spirit of God exposes is unbelief. It's unbelief. It's being in a place where you've not yet Put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible calls this sin. Remember, sin is missing God's expectation. It's missing the mark of God's desire. It's to be off. It's to be wrong. It's to be out of sync with God. You say, I don't want to be out of sync with God. If I just knew what God wanted, then I would sync my life up to him. What is it that God wants? Well, according to Jesus, God wants you to believe in the Son of God. God wants you to believe in Jesus. You say, wait a minute, you know, I thought this whole thing was about me fixing my life. I thought God just wanted me to adjust my behavior, you know, cut out the lying, cut out the drinking, cut out the clubbing, cut, cut, cutting out the gossiping and the, the slandering. And so, you know, you've had this idea that God just wants you to make some moral adjustments to your life. And I say, hey, you know what? God's gonna get to the moral adjustment. God's gonna get to the moral adjustment. God's gonna get to the transformation piece. But before you get to the transformation piece, you have to start with the believing piece. You've got to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Unbelief is ultimately the sin that separates a person from God. I'm saying to you today that God has all this work that he desires to do in your life and the only thing that's holding you back from, from it is unbelief. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like the Hoover Dam. You know, there's some water 
that's being stored up. Not a lot of water, by the way, and uh, less and less every day as I speak. But, but there's all this water that's being held up from behind the dam. If that dam broke, if it was loose, all that water would pour forth. Well, in a way, that's what believing in Jesus does in your life. There's all this work that God desires to do. God wants to, you to enter into his joy. God wants you to enter into the fullness of his presence. God wants you to experience the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants to give you life everlasting. And all of that begins when you choose to believe in Jesus. I love this because it just reveals that the Holy Spirit lovingly exposes the unbelief in a person's heart to lead them to faith in Christ. In fact, in fact I would say to you, the convicting work of the Spirit is gracious. Now, I said the word to you today because I'm reading the Bible, convict, and I know some of you are like, oh, man, that word doesn't even feel good. It doesn't, Pastor, is this going to be one of those messages? But I would say to you, man, the word convict is an expression of God's grace because, because what would be worse would, would be that God would just leave us in the condition that we are. No, it is the grace of God, and conviction is designed to bring men and women of the world to a place where they recognize their need and put their trust and faith in Jesus. So this is what Jesus says the Holy Spirit will do. He will convict, he will expose the sin of unbelief. He will expose our unrighteousness. He convicts the world of unrighteousness, he says, or of righteousness, because I go to the Father and I will see you no more. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? It means that Jesus, when he died on the cross for our sins, accomplished in totality the work that was necessary to redeem humanity. You know, he said seven things when he was hanging on the cross, and one of those things that he said was this, tetelestai, or it is finished, it's complete. In other words, the, the, the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in the life of Christ. And his life has now become the standard. It's become the standard. Jesus has set the standard by his righteous life and also by the sacrifice that he made. In other words, you know, there's only one way to God. And there was only one who could have legitimately come to God, and that was Jesus, because you know he fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. He dotted every I, he crossed every T, he never had a thought that was displeasing or sinful before God, and he never did anything, he never committed sin. He was tempted in all points as we are tempted, and yet he is without sin. And so what God does is this, he says, hey, I've established my righteousness. To get to me, you have to live an absolutely perfect life. Now let me just ask you here in this place, which one of you qualifies for that, right? If, if you've lived a sinful, or if you've lived, everyone, if you've lived a sinful life, raise your hand. Okay, I'm just checking, all right? That was a test. If, if you today, if you're like, man, pastor, I don't know, I, I just, you know, I'm pretty much sinless. I've never, I've, ne I've never, I've never, I'm like, stop, you just lied. You just, you just lied is what you did. All right, Jesus, Jesus establishes the standard to get to God and his perfection, and he's the only one who fulfilled the standard. You know, if you've been to, it's kind of like this, you know, when we measure ourselves next to the perfection of Christ. Have you been to the Grand Canyon before? Have you stood on that glass platform? 
Some of you, like your hands are sweating right now. You're like, oh, you had to say that. But you stand on the class platform and you, and you think, man, not only is this deep, but it is wide. It is wide. I mean, you could, have the, you could have the best hops in the world and you are never jumping from one side to another. And that is similar to the chasm that's been created by us because of our sin between ourselves and God. Like there's never ever a possibility that somehow we're going to be able to span that chasm, to bridge that gap. This is why the Father sent the Son. There's one mediator between man and God, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Not only did he make the sacrifice, but he, the Father, affirmed the sufficiency of the sacrifice by raising the Son from the dead, and that is the good news. The good news is, it's not your righteousness, it's God's righteousness. The good news is this, it's not your efforts. I'm not saying that once you're saved that there aren't efforts because there are, but that doesn't get you into right relationship with God. It's not your efforts, it's your faith in the efforts that Christ made for you and for me. And the final thing that the Spirit of God does, that the Spirit of God does according to Jesus is he exposes the coming judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world is judged. In other words, listen, you know, God does not just turn a blind eye to sin. It's not as if we can sin with impunity and when we die, there is no recompense or there are no consequences. No, Jesus says, and this is a sobering thought to consider, that not only is the ruler of this world judged, but there's gonna be a coming day when he and those who follow him will be sentenced. And the reality is this, the Spirit does these things, listen, the Spirit does these things primarily, he brings the exposure of the sin of unbelief, he brings the exposure of the unrighteousness of the world, he brings the exposure of the coming judgment primarily through his people, primarily through the church, primarily through your life and my life. And I know I say that and you think, man, pastor, how in the world How in the world is it possible that I could live in such a way where the Spirit of God would work like that through me? And so just really briefly today, I wanna look at the words that Jesus said concerning what the Holy Spirit will do. And if you're taking notes, there are four things. Four things you need to lean into, four things you need to live in daily dependence upon, through the power of the Spirit of God so you can be the witness to Christ that God desires you to be. The first one is this, and Jesus says it, he will guide you into all truth. So we as the the localization of the Spirit's presence and power are able to be that influence in the world because the Spirit guides us into all truth to be witnesses to Christ. Now, I just wanna say to you that, that there is something special that he's providing and promising here for the apostles. Because remember, um, it was the apostles who ultimately would be inspired to write the words of scripture. And so Jesus is primarily, first and foremost, giving them a promise of, a, of the provision of the Spirit of God to bring to their remembrance everything that it was that he said and did. I know we read through the Gospels and you're like, well, wait a minute, man, how did these guys remember? You know, we're gonna read in John chapter 17 the high priestly prayer of Jesus and it's like, it is, it is verbatim verbatim what he prayed, and you know, sometimes you can step back and think, man, how is it possible that these guys were able to remember? Answer, Holy Spirit. 
It was the Holy Spirit that brought these things to their remembrance so that they could write down ultimately what we have today, the canon of scripture, the Bible, 66 books, 40 different authors on various continents. But we know that this is the word of God. It is the truth that we build our life upon. And, and, and listen, not only that, not only did he provide the Spirit to do that among the apostles, but the Spirit localizes his power and his truth to be broadcasted among and through his people. Uh, by that, I just simply mean we are the community that knows and experiences the truth of God's word. Like we know it, right? We, we know it intellectually. We, we know it in our minds, but that's not all that we know. We experience it in our hearts, God speaks to us, but I'm just simply saying to you today, you open up the scriptures, you're reading along, the light goes on, you understand, God feeds you his word, and then what do you do? You align your word to his truth. You conform, you conform your life, was what I meant to say. You conform your life to what it is that the word of God says. And as we live it, and as we share it, the spirit of God works through our life to reach the lost world. In fact, Paul would say this about the church. He would say the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Our presence in this world is revelatory. It reveals those areas that the world is walking in the lies of the devil. I don't know if you guys know what truing a wheel is, but Back in the day, you know, when people used to ride bikes, no one really rides bikes in Las Vegas. And if you do ride a bike, it's electric powered now. And so you just push a button, by the way, which is not really riding a bike. <laughs> but you know, when I was a kid and we were riding our bikes and maybe I was doing a bunny hop or something like that and I hit the curb and, and my, my wheel got bent a little bit, well, I would take it to the bike mechanic. He would put it on a, on a, on a vice he would spin it and he would have a tool that would determine when the wheel was out of true, right? When it was warped a little bit. And then he would take another tool and he would tighten up the spokes so that when he spun the wheel, it wouldn't be off at all. Well, the church operates like the tool that identifies when the world is out of sync with God. This is why people get frustrated with you as a Christian. Like you're just in the workplace and you're living your life and you're shining your light and all of a sudden these people don't like you. Well, it's because the way that you live and the truth that you have chosen to align your life to is a source of conviction for them. Every time they see you, they're reminded by the Spirit of God that their life is out of true. Which, listen, which is why you and I need to be deeply rooted in God's truth. Which is why you and I need to know the truth. God doesn't want to be shrouded in mystery with you. God wants to illuminate your understanding so that you know him. And as you know him and walk with him, you can therefore share him with others. I was watching a, a documentary just recently on um, the Jesus movement. And it was interesting because this uh, girl, this young girl, she was a teenager. She decided to go to Calvary Chapel. This was probably early 70s. And she was being interviewed, and the guy's like, hey, tell me why you wanted to come to Calvary Chapel. And she said, you know, I started coming to church here because of the teaching of God's word. You know, I, I want to know God's truth, 
And I want to know God's truth so I can share it more effectively with people around me. And I thought, man, that's it, right? That's it. God wants you to know his truth so that you can experience him and enjoy him, but God also wants you to know his truth so that you can shine as a bright light in a dark world. The second thing today, if you're taking notes, that you need to lean into the spirit for, in a dependent way, is this. The spirit lays down a a pattern of humble submission that we're called to emulate. The spirit lays down a pattern of humble submission that we're called to emulate. Jesus said it like this. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And so remember, remember, as complex as the Trinity is, let me make it a little more complex for you. There is leadership order in the Trinity. There is leadership order in the Trinity. The Trinity is one essence in three persons in a loving order, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I know when you read the gospel accounts, sometimes, sometimes you hit statements like Jesus saying, well, the Father sent me, or Jesus says something like, um, I only do those things that please the Father, um, or Jesus says, I don't speak of my own authority, but those things that the Father's given to me, I share with you. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you stop and you think, well, there seems to be some type of leadership order here. And it works the same with the Holy Spirit because you know the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, he only speaks those things that he's heard. And obviously we presume based on other scripture, we're talking about hearing from the Father. And not just that, but we know the Spirit has been sent by the Father and the Son. Jesus will say to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so also I send you. So I say all of that to say to you, there is a chain of command that's followed. There is a chain of command that's followed, and this this is a big deal for your life. The Son submits to the Father, the Spirit submits to the Father and the Son, and we are called to submit our lives to the Spirit, to the Son, and to the Father. Uh, By that, I'm just saying to you, man, you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Guess who's in control now? (laughs) Guess who's in charge? Guess who's calling the shots? Guess who's behind the steering wheel? Guess who you wake up to every day and submit and yield your life to? Yeah, that's right. Thank you. I mean, we're we're, like, this is like a, (laughs) you're like, I I don't know, pastor. I don't know. No, this this is so interesting because you know he's saved you from the slavery of sin. Anybody here today? Anybody happy about that today? In the house of God? (laughs) Check this out. Check this out because I'm going to bring it back on you right now. He saved you from the slavery of sin so that you could become a slave to God. I mean, I I just want you to think about that. You're like, I don't like the word slave. Well, servant then. Servant then. And by the way, you better think about why you don't like the word slave. And I, I understand in our context, we think back to what happened four centuries or so ago in our country and, and I know that can be a connotation that we carry into our biblical understanding, but that's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about being in a place where you're not, you're not sitting on the throne of your life anymore. You're not calling the shots anymore. Like you don't say to God and to everybody else, hey, it's my way or the highway. No, the f- part of the fruit of putting your faith in Christ is now you have submitted your life to, to the will of the Father, to the will of the Son, and to the purpose of the Holy Spirit. 
Just as the Spirit, check this out, you say, well, give me, give me a specific. Just as the Father and Son have sent the Spirit, so also you are sent. You are sent into this world. Paul said it like this. He said, how then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach? Finish the rest of it. You say, Pastor, that's a great verse about you, right? <laughs> that's a great, that's a great verse for preachers. And I say, yes and amen, Pastor, go get them. And I say, no, that verse isn't just about me. That verse is about you. That verse is about you. You are as much of a herald, a, 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 not H-A-R-O-L-D, like that's not my name, H-E-R-A-L-D, you're as much of a, of a herald, a declarer, a witness as I am. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, hey guys, I want you to think about this. How limited would the work of God be if it was just localized around one person? or if it was local, localized around a, a team of pastors. And unfortunately, this is what happens in our current Christian culture. We see this separation between, between the clergy and the laity. And, and consumerism feeds this, right? We can have the idea where it's like, I come in, the professionals do the work, I get a little bit, professionals are done, I go about you know, my, my business. And the truth is this, like we all have the vocation of being sent to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why we need the power of God's Holy Spirit. And the third thing is this, this should encourage you, the Spirit glorifies Jesus through your life. The Spirit glorifies Jesus through your life. So listen, your, your, your heart and mind are illuminated with the truth of God. You know it, you live it, and you share it. The Spirit helps you do that. You recognize that it's not your will anymore, it's not your desires or necessarily your dreams and ambitions. No, you've submitted yourself to, to the Father and his purposes for your life. There's a war in your life because you're rebellious and you still want it your way, but the Spirit helps you to live a life yielded to God. And as you do, this is what he does. He glorifies Jesus through your life. He causes Jesus to be known. Look, when you're living a Spirit-filled life, everything ends up pointing to Jesus. Everything ends up pointing to Jesus because the Spirit's at work in your life. I described missional living like this a few weeks ago. I said missional living is ordinary people doing ordinary things with the deliberate intention of being a gospel influence, right? So, you know, you're, you're in the workplace. You're just living your life. You know, you're walking in integrity. You're telling the truth. You're submitted to what it is that God desires. You're just an ordinary person doing ordinary spiritual things. But when you do that, the Spirit of God energizes and empowers that. The Spirit of God glorifies Jesus through your life and is working in your colleagues, your coworkers, you know, or your neighbors, you know, or the the, the kids on your baseball team or the students in your class, like whatever the context may be, you are a person doing ordinary things as a child of God and the Spirit of God is at work energizing those efforts and illuminating the heart and the mind of the person who is lost. Don't ever underestimate that. You know, sometimes I know it's like we are in the place where we think, God, what do I have to offer? 
Like, what do I have to offer? The work is so big, you know, it's so profound and amazing. And I'm not the sharpest tack, I'm not the brightest person, I'm not the, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, and I'm speaking to myself right now. I don't, I don't, have, I don't have all of the, the charisma, you know, I, I have a basic knowledge of the Bible, but I need to, lead, I need to, to learn more. And I'm just saying to you, sometimes what happens is we, we focus on all of our liabilities so much that we begin to discount what God's able to do, right? We discount what God is able to do. Some of you are like, God's been touching your life about serving in church. And, and even that, you're like, God, I can't serve in church. Like, who am I? I? I'm barely making it as a Christian. Well, join the club. Right? Join the club. Like we're all, we're all, we're all journeying together. And, and if you think for a second that people are used because, of, uh, because they just have this mystical experience with God and they're so amazingly close, think again. Like we, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We are all in the same situation, dependent upon the work of God's Holy Spirit. But as you live in that spirit dependence, what you discover is this, God does great things. God does great things. He glorifies the Son. By the way, how do you know when a church is filled and moving in the power of the Holy Spirit? You will know that because the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ will always be the focus, right? Will always be the focus. The Spirit of God, when he moves, is not about bringing the focus to himself. He is always about bringing the focus to the Son of God. Which brings me to the final thing today, and that's this. The Spirit makes the work of Christ in the world personal for you. The Spirit makes the work of Christ in the world personal for you. Jesus says, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And what Jesus is saying is this, the Spirit of God is gonna work in your heart in such a way that he unfolds my redemptive work and presses the importance of it upon your heart. Presses the importance of it upon your heart. When you're living in a way that you're a spirit dependent, lost souls being saved will matter to you. That's what I'm saying. Jesus is saying, man, when the spirit of God is working, not only will he magnify me, but he's gonna take of what is mine and declare it to you. There's gonna be an unfolding, an understanding of what life is really all about. And he's gonna press upon you the importance of lost people being saved. Now today, if you're a religious person going through religious routines, the truth is this, you probably don't care about the lost because you're living a self-satisfied life that's dependent on your rituals instead of being dependent on the spirit. Like I'm just saying, you know, you roll, you roll with uh, the rituals of Christianity, but there's really no heart in it. And because there's no heart in it, you're not necessarily concerned about those who aren't saved because you yourself are saved. You know, you've, you've, you've. <laughs> the fact is this, there's so many Christians that are asleep in our culture today. And you're like, pastor, how do I know? How do I know if I'm spiritually asleep? Do you care about lost people being saved? Do you, I mean, first and foremost, do you care about lost people being saved? I was, with a, I was with a pastor a couple of weeks ago and we were 
we were, there was a group of us that were talking to this guy. He just took over like one of the most well-known churches in the country. And I was listening to him talk about the lostness of his son and he just broke down crying in front of everybody. He was broken, loves his boy, loves his boy, but is so burdened for the salvation of his son, he just broke down crying. And I'm like, that, that's it. Like, that's it. God wants us. When, when we are spirit dependent, there is, there is something that crystallizes for us. There is an awareness that we have of really what it is that God is doing. We're not just living our lives and trying to make it through and getting by the best that we possibly can. We're not amassing for ourselves things in this life that we're never gonna be able to take to heaven anyway. No, there's, there's an understanding and God help us. I want this more in my life. God help us. I want this more in my life that we would wake up in the morning and we would be able to say to God, you know what, God, I know you got me at work, uh, you got me with my friends, I have these responsibilities, but I get the bigger picture, I know what you're doing, I know what matters, and I wanna invest in heavenly things, and so God, with those things as a platform, work in and through my life so that one lost person today, through the power of your Holy Spirit, could become aware of their need for you, God, take what seems to me just to be ordinary, run-of-the-mill, just stuff, and God, energize it by your power. Cause the lost. Cause the lost. And you guys know that if, you know, before you were saved, there were things that people did that were like, oh, man, you, it, it caused you to take notice. And what you didn't know was it was the Holy Spirit that was turning the light on inside of you. And it wasn't until you crossed the bridge of faith in Christ that you looked back and you're like, oh man, that was the Spirit of God. Like that was straight up the Spirit of God. And God wants to do the same thing in your life today. I'm concerned because there seems to be such a lack of urgency to see lost souls saved. I'm concerned because you know the Spirit of God is always prodding, he's always pro provoking, he's always pushing, he's always touching us to take a step of faith and, and, and risk something or sacrifice something. And in those moments when he does it, I'm just gonna use an example here, okay? Um, but you know, you're driving home, you've had a, a long day at work, and, and there's some, you're in line at the store, and you're getting your stuff for dinner, and the Spirit of God provokes you, he prompts you, he prods you, he pushes you, and he's like, talk to that person. Talk to that person. And you know the temptation is just always there to be like, man, I'm just tired, God. I've served you faithfully all day long, you know? <laughs> I mean, the excuses. If you're a parent and you hate excuses, think about God. <laughs> think about God, right? I mean, just the, the level of, and the, the volume of excuses he hears every single day, right? And the, and the excuses just start to roll. And, and, and God is saying, I, the most valuable thing in this moment for you to do is to be obedient to the prodding of my spirit, to have a sense of urgency, and to see what I will do. To be, let me just wrap up with this, to be like Isaiah, who said this, here am I send me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today, and God, we, we pray that you would birth that urgency, that sense of urgency, the desire to see lost souls saved. God, do that. Do that in, not just in our church. Yes, please, in Jesus' name, do it in our church, but God, in our lives. Father, you've given us the privilege of localizing the presence and power of your Holy Spirit in and through us that we would be 
the ones through whom you broadcast your truth. And Father, may every one of us grow a little bit. God, even if it's just a little bit, help us to take those steps of faith for the sake of the lost. Mm -hmm.